This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear a panel discussion between Hannah Nation, Corey Jackson, and Ryan Zhang as they share insights from the endurance and strength of the Reformed Chinese House Churches. Hannah Nation currently serves as the Managing Director of the Center for House Church Theology and as the Content Director for China Partnership. Corey Jackson is the Senior Pastor of Trinity Park Church in Cary, North Carolina. Ryan Zhang is the Pastor for Neighborhood Ministries at New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. This episode was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2023 General Assembly. Let's listen as these leaders share about the church's perseverance and grace and unity in another context, in the hope of casting a compelling vision of faithfulness under cultural pressure. Uh, Hi, everyone. My name is Hannah Nation. I work for China Partnership. Um, It's really wonderful to see you all here. Thank you so much for joining us. This session is called Learning from the Endurance and Strength of the Reformed Chinese House Churches. And it's really... um, our honor to be able to share with you um, what God has been doing among the Chinese house churches and uh, what we in North America have to learn from them. Um, As I mentioned, I am China Partnership's content director. I've uh, worked in ministry in various capacities uh, with and among the Chinese uh, my whole adult life. It's something that started when I was a sophomore at Covenant College and did not anticipate it being a lifelong calling, but here I am. Um, So you never know where the Lord will lead you. Um, I also currently work for a new organization called the Center for House Church Theology, and I'll talk about that more in a little bit. But first, let me uh, let my co-speakers introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Ryan Zhang. I'm one of the pastors at New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati. I also work part-time for China Partnership as their translation manager. I was born in Guangzhou, China, and I moved here as a teenager. Hey, I'm Corey Jackson. Um, I am married. I've got four kids. I always forget that, so i got to remember to get that in there. That's terrible. My wife's always like, you didn't even say you were married. Um, anyway, I am. And um, so I grew up in Birmingham. I grew up at Briarwood. Um, which many of you know that church, and also spent some time overseas. I uh, went to Auburn University, spent some time overseas in China for seven years, moved back, 
I went to RTS, Orlando, planted a church in Cary, North Carolina 13 years ago with my wife that is a, a multicultural church. Um, many different nations have come together there, which is a beautiful thing. I also have worked with China Partnership for many years. I think I've been associated with China Partnership for 20 years, uh, which is amazing, and six years on the steering committee, and then now I kind of help advise in some different areas when they ask me to. I've also had the opportunity uh, to coach some Chinese pastors, and um, my love for the Chinese people has enabled me or given me the opportunity to do some advocacy work um, in Washington and some different places, which has been really interesting. So with that, I'll hand it back over. Thanks. So um, let me start really briefly with just a a quick introduction to China Partnership and um, who we are and what it is that we do. Um, China Partnership just celebrated its 20th anniversary um, in 2021. And um, we have had a lot of different iterations of the ministry, but um, essentially these days we are blessed because um, we are by Chinese and for Chinese. Our uh, leadership is all Chinese, um, which means that um, we have been able to continue operating and continue our ministry and our vision. Um, Even in the last years, um, if you're familiar with China, um, there have been quite a lot of struggles, um, a lot of hardships across China, both through persecution and the realities of COVID and the COVID zero policy. Um, But because we are um, led and our ministry is carried out um, through uh, the Chinese themselves, we uh, have been able to continue our vision um, without ceasing. Um, We are um, focused really on training and equipping uh, Chinese house church pastors. And so um, for, you know, those of you who may be unfamiliar with us, Um, Our work focuses on um, helping to raise up and really uh, bring up a generation of of pastors who are um, renewed and revitalized in the gospel and using that as they go out in their cities and in their churches and minister. Um, I will also briefly introduce what is a house church, (laughs) because I know for many people this is a question that uh, can remain murky and uh, sometimes misunderstood. Um, I think as Americans often are, are kind of, uh, when we imagine a house church, when we think about what a house church is, we think about a small group of people meeting in a private individual's home. That has been true over long periods of Chinese uh, church history. But today, that's really not the primary marker of the house church or kind of the primary definition of the house church in China. Um, Especially before 2018, when a fresh wave of persecution broke out, um, many churches had uh, grown beyond what was feasible to contain (laughs) within a private home. And uh, they also really had um, a vision of gathering and meeting in a public way so as to uh, be known in their cities um, and to be very present in their cities. And so um, you could find house churches that, for example, met in spaces like this, 
um, conference centers or hotel meeting rooms. You could find house churches that um, rented uh, permanent space or uh, met in a, a wide variety of capacities. And so then the question really becomes, well, what is the house church? Why do they call themselves house churches? And at the end of the day, what it comes down to is that um, the, the Chinese government has a vested interest in uh, maintaining control over religious practice and religious life in China. And so um, Christianity is not strictly illegal within China. But what is problematic is um, religious life that doesn't come under the authority of, of the ruling authorities. And so um, today the house churches are really primarily defined by their, their stance or their response to uh, the Communist Party's desire for them to participate in a state church structure. And in essence, really what defines a house church is their commitment to saying, only Christ is the head of the church. Um, only Christ has authority over the church, and we do not submit to a, a, a governing authority uh, that wishes to supplant that or replace that. And so they, they maintain the term house church um, not necessarily because they're committed to remaining in private homes as worship space, but because uh, this has has shaped their identity over the decades and, and how they respond to the state. Um, so I know that's uh, maybe technical, but I think it's always helpful for us to understand what exactly it is that we're talking about um, when we're talking about the, the house church. Um, Ryan's going to talk a little bit about the situation in China right now and just what's taking place there in recent years. Yeah, just a brief overview. When the Communist Party took over in 1949, they basically took, kicked out all the Western missionaries. And then the house churches in China went through a very heavy period of persecution, especially during the Cultural Revolution. By that I meant imprisonment, public shaming, public beating, heavy surveillance, church closures. And everything went underground, and it was very much a rural movement. But when China opened up back to the West in the 80s and 90s, there was a period, relatively peaceful period in China when churches could exist. House churches were still illegal, but they were able to more or less stay left alone without being harassed unless they become too critical of the government. And that's important because that gave access to a lot of Western missionaries to come back in to do training and help the house churches grow. And then also it gave house churches the space to develop their theology, and a lot of these urban house churches to also develop, to grow and set up an urban house church identity and set up their reform identity. And that's also helpful because then through those 20, 30 years of growth and having a theological foundation that helped them weather the things that happened in the last four years. And since Xi Jinping took power in 2013, things started tightening up and Especially after 2018, there was a new religious regulation that came out that tightened the control of house churches. And then many churches have been shut down. Um, Christians were harassed at their work, uh, the homes, schools, people have their apartments locked or their jobs threatened, their kids threatened to be kicked out of school. And then also congregations lose their gathering space. Of course, 
The most prominent example is Wang Yi, who was a pastor in Chengdu, who's been arrested and in prison for nine years. So that's kind of got the pressure's on and getting heavier in China. And with Xi Jinping taking a third term, there's no end in sight. Um, so we're here today to really talk about what we in North America have to learn from our brothers and sisters in China. <clears throat> um, we could talk for a long time about the very quick overview <laughs> that we just gave you. Um, but I think our, our heart is really to help us understand um, what we have to learn, what um, we as North Americans, what we benefit or how we benefit from hearing the voices of our brothers and sisters in China. Um, I think to, to kind of prepare us as we think about this, um, today the conservative figure is that there are um, 80 million Christians in China. The more bold figures that you will see are uh, around 130 million Christians in China. Um, we'll kind of land in the middle and say 100 million usually. Um, that is an astounding work of the Holy Spirit in the last 70 years. Um, when the Communist Party came to power and um, all of the Western missionaries and Western church structures were kicked out, everyone thought that was the end of the church in China. You can go back in the historical documents and see that, by and large, people had the attitude of, that's it. The, the mission has failed. Um, it will not continue. But when China opened back up, we, of course, discovered that hadn't been the case. God had preserved his people, and they had endured under great hardship. And as it opened up, um, it just grew <laughs> like wildfire. And you see this just exponential growth of Christianity and of conversions um, from the 1980s on. Um, so on a basic level, I think um, we should be paying attention to what's taking place there, and we should be learning because clearly God is doing a great work there. We want to learn where God is working. If God is pouring out his Holy Spirit onto China and revival is taking place there and we long to see revival in our own backyards, we need to pay attention to where he's working and what's taking place there. Furthermore, I think, um, you know, China may feel very far away, and it is very far away, and it is very culturally different from the majority culture North American experience. But it's probably not as different or as far as you may think. <laughs> um, in today's world, um, urban city dwellers are all dealing with many of the same questions. Um, churches in the world's most densely populated um, wealthy urban spaces are all dealing with very similar questions. We're dealing with questions of how do you raise a second and third and fourth generation in the gospel? How do you endure in a largely secularized space? Um, how do you push back against your congregation's just materialism and um, the realities of living in a successful, wealthy place? If you took a pastor 
from Shanghai and you took a pastor from Chicago and you put them in the same room together, yes, there would be very significant cultural differences. But the, the big issues that weigh on them are, are not so dissimilar that they couldn't have a productive conversation and learn from each other. And I think one of the rising things that the church in North America is thinking a lot about is cultural marginalization. What does it mean to endure and to be the church when Christianity is not the majority um, religion, it's not the majority faith um, conviction across North America? Um, We are looking at that likely being our future. And so how do we live as a marginal, marginalized faith community? This is something the Chinese have lived and have thought about and have talked about for decades. And so as much as it's a new reality for us and a new conversation for us, it's not for them. And there's a lot that we can learn from from them about how to love your city when it doesn't love you back. Um, So when I think about my kids and when I think about just their future, I think, man, I want them to continue to grow up learning from the great tradition of Western Reformed Christianity or Western Reformed theology. I want them to read um, John Calvin. I want them to read all of these, this great heritage that we have. But I also want them to pay attention to what their brothers and sisters around the world who understand what it means to be a faithful disciple on the margins what they have to say about living and enduring in this world. Um, So there's a lot that we think that we can learn from our brothers and sisters. I think one of the major differences between us and China is that they exist under the rule of an authoritarian, atheistic government and the lack of religious freedom over there. And whether you're a Christian or not, the power of the Chinese government is felt everywhere. But it's watching you, it's ready to pounce on you if you do anything critical of the government. And for Xi Jinping, the stability of the Communist Party's rule is his primary focus. And that you have, it's not enough to just keep quiet in China. For Xi Jinping, you have to give enthousi- enthusiastic support to his government, to the power, to the party. And that makes the house churches a big, major target because for them, they acknowledge a higher lord, a higher rule above the government. And that their allegiance to God first and not to the party, not to China, not to Xi Jinping. And that's something he cannot accept. So this forces the house church to reflect very carefully about their relationship with the government, their relationship between the heavenly kingdom and the and earthly kingdom, when to obey, when to resist, when to accept penalties, when to fight. It also forces them to think about their relationship with the cities. How do they love their neighbors in the face of social injustice, how can they be salt and light when so many people just keep their heads down and don't speak up? Reform theology became a very important tool for them to reflect on these questions. And you know, we have the same reform doctrines here, but I think about the, the analogy of someone carrying a pocket knife around. You know, if you live in a city, you carry a pocket knife around, you probably don't use that very much, right? You probably use it to cut apples or whatever. But then if you go camping with a friend, and you see a friend pull out a pocket knife, and he's like, cleaning a fish and cutting down trees and setting up camp or whatever you do with a pocket knife, you learn suddenly, wow, this knife that you carry around so much 
it's very useful. And I think the same way we've been living in a relatively peaceful area, and we don't think about how to use our reform doctrines. And the Chinese church is a church in the wilderness, and they could teach us the power of this pocket knife that we've been carrying around. And so I hope that this would be something that we could learn about how to use our doctrines to think about things that we didn't think the doctrines speak to. So with that in mind, let me invite you guys to share what you've been learning about. Yeah, so um, thinking about the pocket knife, what is something that is not new, but that we see the Reformed churches in China leaning on that has for us kind of been like, oh, like that, we need, we need to rediscover that. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to talk about this reality in um, just my own personal discipleship and kind of discipleship on a personal level. Um, Corey is going to talk about this reality as pastor and how this has shaped his pastoring. And Ryan's going to conclude thinking about our social engagement. Um, so I, for me, you know, <laughs> um, American culture does not like to think about suffering. I don't think anyone likes to think about suffering. Um, but American culture in particular is really bent on getting people to forget about the reality of suffering and to, in a sense, kind of just pretend it's not there, pretend it's not a part of our reality. I think this really was pressed home on me through the pandemic, through the COVID years, um, that it, it was kind of like we were allergic to just talking about the topic of suffering until we're so forced to be in it that we don't know what to do. Um, this really, though, is quite different from what I see with my brothers and sisters in China. And as an example, um, I have had many conversations with pastors, um, sisters in the church, who have talked about suffering as a necessary component of our walk with Christ. That is a necessary component of our discipleship. Um, and I will tell you, as an, an American, as a, especially a white American, like this just, uh, I would like, just everything in me would like react to this of like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Um, and I think that um, it really took experiencing a certain degree of suffering in my own life to really kind of get to a point of hearing what they were saying, not as something that I found deeply disturbing and kind of weird, and something that was like, oh, yeah, there's truth and there's wisdom in this. And when I started really listening to what they have to say, I, I discovered that these ideas are really rooted in their understanding of the Christian's union with Christ. Um, union with Christ is, I mean, we're at... We're at the PCHGA. We all love union with Christ. Um, but I'm not sure what we love is the implication that union with Christ comes with a call to walk the way of the cross. Um, and this is something that our Chinese brothers and sisters talk about all the time. Um, they will say, they'll remind you um, the words of Jesus in Matthew that the servant is not above the master. Our Savior's life on this earth was marked by suffering, and we are not above him. 
um, Paul talks about the church filling up the afflictions of Christ. And again, these aren't things that are new ideas, or they're not new theology, but like the pocket knife, you know, this isn't like in the water in our discipleship, I think. And um, it's really become very beautiful to me to see how much the Chinese are, are um, marinating <laughs> in this theology. They're using the pocket knife. Um, they are living a life in the wilderness with many difficulties, and they are leaning on this doctrine of union with Christ in a just profoundly beautiful way. I think what enables them to do that, though, married with that, it's not just that we suffer with Christ, but um, this is how we receive the wellspring of grace in our lives. And you can't endure hardship, you can't endure suffering um, without being able to draw from that deep well of God's grace. It's what keeps your heart soft in the middle of great opposition. And so in my own life, we went through just a really hard time um, from about 2018 through 2022 um, part of that had to do with the pandemic and a lot of loss that we experienced in that stretch. And it was, for me, um, just an incredibly important thing to be hearing from my brothers and sisters saying, press on, keep going. Um, you have the resources you need in your union with Christ to endure through this time. Um, well, I often hear uh, pastors talk about um, using their time in the backseat of a police car on the way to a police station for questioning as a time to repent of their own idols. And I think you only are able to do that, and you're only able to take that posture um, in times of hardship and opposition when um, you are living in the reality that you are united to Christ and that his grace is abundant in your life. And so that has been something just in my own personal discipleship that has really um, formed me in the last um, four to five years of my life. Thanks, Hannah. Yeah, I'm just going to share how uh, walking with the Chinese church, the global a church has helped me as a pastor in the pandemic. So um, those of you who are pastors or elders in here or the wives of pastors or elders in here, you know, it was really hard to lead to, as an understatement over the last three years. Uh, it was hard for all of us. Um, our church, as I mentioned at the beginning, we have about 25 different nations in our church. And so uh, the diversity is beautiful, but it also comes with a multitude of thoughts and cultural opinions about all kinds of things, including COVID, uh, including George Floyd and race, including politics, including finances, including everything. Um, so in the midst of everything that we went through, um, I was pastoring this, this uh, global church, and it was extremely, extremely challenging. Along with that, in the middle of the pandemic, our church, we had been meeting in a school or a church plant. We'd been meeting in schools for 10 years, so we were kicked out of our schools uh, for COVID reasons. So our church was homeless uh, in the midst of everything we were going through. So we were homeless for 23 months, um, 19 months of meeting in a parking lot, and then the first four months online like everybody else or whatever. Uh, so that was a long time. I was not prepared to pastor a church in parking lots. Uh, 
Um, so where did I look to find encouragement in this time? Well, I was presenting some ideas about planting and pastoring multicultural churches to a church, a large church in the PCA. And at the end of my presentation, one elder raised their hand and said, uh, Corey, uh, why didn't you resign in the middle of all this? What kept you going in the midst of all that you went through? And I thought about it for a minute, and my answer to him was, I believe it was walking with the global, the, the Chinese church uh, as my brothers and sisters that helped me not to resign uh, and why. So there's a few things that I reflected on. So the first thing I reflected on is when I suffer as a pastor, I've needed to learn that it is both normal and essential. So when I suffer as a pastor, it's normal and essential. So Chinese pastors are not surprised by suffering. They, when they signed up for ministry, they signed up to suffer. That was part of their, when they said, I want to go to seminary, they said, I want to go to seminary because I'm willing to suffer. For us, we, I didn't do that. Um, I signed up to go to seminary because I love to study theology. Um, I wanted to use my gifts. I felt a sense of calling to the ministry. Maybe I'd have some fun too. Uh, maybe there'd be some international travel worked in there somewhere. There were a lot of reasons. Um, but I did not necessarily wed my call to the ministry to a call to suffering. But these last two and a half years have shown me that suffering is a call not just of the global pastor or the, the international missionary. It's the call for every pastor. It's a call for every single one of us to sign up to suffer for Christ. So my Chinese brothers and sisters are teaching me that suffering is not something to be afraid of, but it is something that is essential for the growth of the church, even here in the United States. So the church came into being through suffering, the suffering of Christ, ultimately. And the church will continue to grow to fruition through suffering. And I think going back to the pocket knife analogy, union with Christ is the key to all this. And we know it theologically. But we've had to learn how to live it out practically. So the second thing I reflected on is when I suffer as a pastor, I'm not alone, but I am in fellowship with a great cloud of global witnesses. So like you, when I read Hebrews 12.1, I think about the global cloud of witnesses. Witnesses that have lived uh, in history past and maybe history future, but also there's history present. And we have a great cloud of witnesses around us in the world to show us how to walk through suffering. Uh, brothers and sisters who are not surprised by suffering, who have been suffering and have been ministering in times of suffering. Not, I don't mean we're all going through times of personal suffering in our own lives and different things that happen in our lives and our families. But I'm talking about church suffering, an era of church suffering. We haven't really walked through that. I haven't. Maybe some have in different churches in America. Uh, maybe minority cultures have walked through suffering more than me as a majority culture. And I've had to learn how to suffer and how to lead a church that's suffering. So consider this. How many pastors in America could instruct me on how to pastor my church through 23 months of homelessness? I think almost zero. I mean, there's not very many. Maybe now some of you have experienced something like that, but when, I, when the pan pandemic started, uh, no one. No one, I could call no one to say, hey, how do you do this in month, month 10, month 15, parking lot number three? You know, how do you do it? But I could call Chinese pastors. I could, I could talk to them because they've been on the move for a really long time. They've learned how to pastor their churches. They've learned what's essential about gospel ministry 
what you can hold on to and what you can let go of, even if you're in parking lots. So I found myself in an interesting fraternity, a beautiful fraternity of other pastors, global pastors who could help me as I was planning for the next Sunday of worship. The third thing I've learned is when I suffer as a pastor, I should not use this as an occasion to question my calling, but I could, I should see suffering as an affirmation of my calling. So suffering should not be a time when we question our calling. It should be a time when we are affirmed that we are following the crucified Savior. So in the midst of the pandemic, I was tempted at various points along the way to understand or interpret why are we suffering through the lens of my own pastoral ministry. Maybe if I preached better, maybe if I counseled better, maybe if I was a better leader, maybe if we had a clearer vision, maybe then we wouldn't suffer. And now, you know, looking back on it now, did I make mistakes in the pandemic? Yes, absolutely. I've learned a lot through the last three years of ministry. I hope we all have. But we suffer for doing good. We suffer good for doing good for following Jesus. When I look at my brothers and sisters in, in the global church, and as we talk about the realities of Xi Jinping and communism, everything that's happening to them, they're, they're out, there's circumstances are outside of their control. And I look at their response to COVID, how they how they maneuvered in COVID. And I look at the Chinese church, I can, I can kind of set it outside of my American context and, context and go, they're not suffering because they're, they're not good pastors. They're suffering because this is hard. <laughs> and so I can reinterpret why are we suffering through the lens of we're following Jesus and this is hard. Instead of making it a moment to have a referendum on my own pastoral ministry or the pastoral ministry of other people. So Jesus followed his father and endured suffering. Why would we expect? any different. So were it not for the friendships I've had along the way with these other pastors, I might have lost my way. Um, I wasn't like on the doorstep of resigning, but I had moments where I was like, why am I doing this? I think you might have had those moments too. And when I looked at them and I saw the resilience in their faith and how they leaned into their union with Christ, it was, it was just beautiful and it was inspiring and encouraging for me. And I want to also reiterate that the end of this is not suffering. The end of union with Christ is not crucifixion. It's resurrection, right? We've learned where to hope. I hope. Where do we hope? Yeah, we don't hope in suffering. Yeah, we hope in Christ and suffering. But the hope is in the new city that is to come. And the Chinese church is looking ahead. And this is where Ryan's going to go in just a minute. But eschatologically, they live in their eschatology. This is not a lasting city. We're seeking a city that is to come. This is not a lasting country or nation. We're seeking a city. That is to come. Last thing I'll say is I have seen Chinese pastors and churches that in this moment of suffering, when they're going through it the most, when they're most un- aware of their union with Christ, they're, they're more prone to lean into mission and loving their neighbor and not lean away from it because they already have Christ. And so I found it to be incredibly encouraging for me that in the moment of suffering, it's not a time for us to step back and and constantly navel gaze and question ourselves over and over again. But it's a time to actually lean forward and love our neighbors. So I'll hand it to Ryan. Yeah, and I think one thing I've learned, how they lift out their resurrection power is um, to what they think about power. And I, one thing that I've seen, if you, two examples that came to my mind when I think about how Chinese people look at their power. One is, um, I was reading some reviews of, 
Chinese reviews of the film, everything, everywhere, all at once, if you've seen it, you know there's a scene when Evelyn and her daughter turned to rocks, and it was a silent film, silent scene, and they were thinking about how small and insignificant they are in the vastness of the multiverse. And everything in me wanted to revolt against that idea because I know that I'm loved by God. You know, God gives us value. He sees us. He loves us. But many Chinese reviewers, when they look at that scene, they said that's the most powerful part of the movie because that connects with them. They feel powerless. They feel insignificant in their society, just a tiny speck in history. The second example is early this year, you know, the China had very strict COVID lockdown. And then almost overnight, at the end of last year, they just removed it. Everything snapped back into normal. And it was devastating for a lot of people in the last two years under very strict lockdown. And then they just removed it, and then a lot of people would die afterward. But almost nobody asked questions why, like what happened? Why did they do this? What's going on? In America, you will have multiple congressional hearings. You have people protesting, voting, all that. Nothing like that happened in China. And some of that's because people don't want to speak up because they don't want to get in trouble. But also is that, what's the point? What's the point of asking questions where you can do nothing about it? You only get yourself more angry. But you don't, do, you don't change anything. You only can draw attention to yourself. And that's what the Chinese government relies on, is that people just keep their heads down and keep quiet. But that's the thing that the Chinese house choices wouldn't do, is that they don't want to keep quiet. They don't have political power, but they have heavenly power. They know that they're united to the Lord in heaven, that Jesus is in heaven interceding for them right now. And they, that they testify to a kingdom to come that gives them tremendously large amount of power. And that gave them the courage to speak up against injustice, and to, to speak up for their neighbors, and that that's one reason Wang is in trouble, because he is too vocal. Some people say he's too vocal. They can speak out not to gain political power, but they speak out as salt and light. They want to speak the truth when most people just let it slide. And they want to speak against idolatry. And sometimes asking hard questions is one way to love your neighbors, because they don't want to let things slide. Now, we Christians here, we have some political power. We can vote. We can protest. We can keep people account- accountable, and we should absolutely do that. Use as much as power we, we're given here to keep government accountable. But do we exercise our political power at the expense of speaking the truth or loving our neighbors? Now, how does our union with the risen Lord inform us to exercise our political power here correctly? Now, we're not as powerless or marginalized as we think we are, but our power is of a different sort. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. What does that even mean for us here in America, that we have a kingdom that's a different sort? And I see the balance in the Chinese church that they, they're not just otherworldly people. They love their neighbors. They go out, they clean streets. We know churches that have widow, elderly ministry. They visit widows and elderly and do things that every Chinese citizen wouldn't do. They love their neighbors. They care about the well-being of the society. But at the same time, they testify to a power to come, a kingdom to come that's different from the earthly power here. And that's a very delicate balance to focus on the present reality, but also the reality to come. So I think the house church in China could be a great resource to help us think through this topic. Um, 
We are going to do, try to make sure we have time for Q&A at the end. But um, I know we just said a lot of things. <laughs> so let me leave you with um, a couple of just resources you can take back to your churches. If these are things that you feel like this is helpful and it would be helpful for your church to be thinking through, if this is, would be helpful for your leadership to be thinking through any of the, the three points that we just talked about. Um, we have a lot of resources that we can give you um, to keep having this conversation back in your church settings. Um, so um, the first thing that I'll talk about is that we just launched a podcast. Everyone loves podcasts right now, and we just did one too. <laughs> so, um, uh, Trey, if you could, yeah. Um, so it's uh, very simply titled the House Church in China podcast. Um, very easy to remember. This is probably like one of the easiest ways to access what we're talking about. Um, we tell the story of a woman called, uh, her name is Yang Xiaohui. Um, she is a pastor's wife. She is a young mother. And last summer, um, she spent almost two weeks in jail. Um, her husband was already in jail, serving a one-year sentence. Um, we just basically tell her story, and we talk about her commitment to the church and her commitment to being the church, no matter what the, the stakes are. Um, it's a very wonderful and powerful story. Um, we're really excited to share it with you, and it's just a great way to go further in the stories of an individual church and um, the leadership of that church. So you can find it um, we have a website. It's just housechurchinchinapodcast.com. Uh, if you search for it, you'll find it. And we're on Spotify and Apple and, and everywhere. Um, the next thing I'll mention is that, um, as I mentioned in my introduction, I, I wear two hats. I work for China Partnership. I also work with a, a new organization called the Center for House Church Theology. And as much as China Partnership really is focused on resourcing and equipping and giving to these pastors, the center's vision is in reverse. The vision of the center is basically saying they have resources they can give us. And our global reality of the church, it's no longer just the Western churches giving to the globe, but the globe the global church, the Chinese church, has resources they can give back to us. And so the center's vision is to publish the um, writing and the theology that's coming out of the house churches in China. We published two books last year. The first is called Faith in the Wilderness. Um, it's a very easy, easily accessible book. Um, there's a study guide that goes with it. And it's um, a collection of sermonic letters, and they it just delves into everything that we've been talking about for the last hour. The second book is um, Faithful Disobedience by a pastor named Wang Yi. We've mentioned him several times, and I'm sorry I realized we didn't necessarily introduce him for those who don't know. Um, Wang Yi is a Reformed House Church pa pastor. Um, uh, he 
is currently serving a nine-year jail sentence for subversion of the state. Um, he's uh, very widely known, and we had the honor of publishing um, his house church manifesto as part of this book, and then it delves into a lot of questions about eschatology and ecclesiology and, and basically where's the church going and what is our relationship to society around us as we go there. Um, so these are all really great resources that you can take back and delve into and dig into. Um, I will mention two other things, though. Um, please pray with us. <laughs> um, the Chinese church, whenever we ask the Chinese churches, what do you need? What do you want? The first thing they ask for is, is prayer. Um, they are coveting that their brothers and sisters around the world would pray for them. And so um, we have two really easy ways for you to engage with that. Um, we have a weekly Zoom call where we pray together for our brothers and sisters. Um, you can join us. We would love to have anyone join us and pray. Anyone in your church who loves to pray, if you have a prayer ministry, we would love to have them join us. The second thing is um, we have put together resources for you to host um, an an event or an evening of prayer in your own church for the Chinese house churches. Um, it's a pre-made package and kit, and it has everything that you need um, to host that in your church. So um, please join us. Please join us in praying for our brothers and sisters. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.